tried. I was trying, don't get me wrong. What, what, what about when this one, what about when this one man was around? Like I said, I was trying. <laughs> they had a promoter that didn't bring them to my side and wouldn't allow me to come to this side unless it was on his turn. Chris, would you have been interested? <laughs> Before we get to that. So, so what's going on at Sky then? So what we do know for certain is, well not even for certain, but we can deduce now that the match from Sky relationship is over and that you will see match from shows on DAZN and we've discussed the whole need to control everything from cradle to grave as Eddie said and that's fine but it you know it leaves a massive void at Sky because obviously for the last what eight or so years it's been pretty exclusive right so you've got to break it down into the various layers that are at play here and if you remember last time we talked about some of the changes at Sky so how Barney Francis had gone and he had been replaced by a guy called Rob Webster. And Rob Webster was group com commercial director. And before that, he was group counsel. And so this is essentially a lawyer and a numbers man moving into a sports business, which isn't necessarily just about numbers. Sometimes it's about feelings and emotions and status. What, what made that really interesting, actually, was I don't think Webster brought in his own guys. So I think a lot of the people he ended up having in his team were old school, were Barney Francis guys, were what you can call old world Sky Sports. And when Rob Webster joined, which is a few months before the pandemic, he had probably wanted to come in with his own ideas, make Sky Sports far more commercial and, you know, the usual things you want to do, take it in a different direction and impose yourself on it, right? That's what anyone would want to do. It's like when you buy a new house, you want to make it yours. So the pandemic hits. And you suddenly realize you're a company that's essentially built on live sport. As was BT. And we talked about this last year, how Sky had no content to fall back on in the event of something that is happening. Which is strange because every company should have a disaster recovery plan or what they call operational resilience. So every company should have a detailed plan that says... If something were to happen to us that meant we couldn't do business as normal, here's what we would go to. Here is our plan B. And in Sky's case, there'll be a disaster recovery facility. Might be a data center somewhere in, I don't know, Hertfordshire, Berkshire, something like that, that they can just switch to immediately. Same for their broadcast. They'll have a, an alternative facility they can go to. The problem they had was they had no content. And maybe that's what Rob Webster saw, was actually, we don't have any content here. And with him being a commercial guy, I know some of the things that were discussed were around how do we build our own content, which we can then license to people like Netflix and Amazon Prime for distribution outside of the UK. 
that was one of the questions. And I think there was initial resistance because obviously you're dealing with the old school. You're dealing with the, the Barney Francis ma mafia. Do you see what I mean? So until you get your own people in an organization, it's hard to make the changes that you want to make. So the pandemic puts a massive plan in, in Rob Webster's plans and it blows them apart. And he's got a whole year, remember this, of not really getting to know his team. He has a whole year of not being able to see his team in person, not being able to socialize with them, not being able to do the things he needs to do in order to lead a team that's been led successfully for a long time by somebody else. Add that to the fact that there's a lot of pressure. It's Sky Sports. It's the, you know, that's the engine of Sky. And you've got the pressure from Comcast now. And I think it all got a bit too much for him. And, you know, perhaps he decided to go and look at something else. Maybe he decided, actually, I'm more of a commercial guy than I am a sports guy. And so the rumors are that he's tendered his resignation and he'll be replaced by, I think it's Jonathan Licht. Who, who was his deputy, but was also, I think he was head of strategy for Sky Sports for a long time. So he's, a, he's an old school Sky Sports guy. And would he want to go back to business as normal? I don't know, but it will be beneficial for some of the people who've known him for a long time. He will understand how the dynamics are. So we essentially went through a period last year where we were looking at potentially a new Sky, and now we're looking at it potentially like an old sky. And maybe under Jonathan Licht, a deal with Matchroom can be, could have been done. Don't know. But it, that would be a more Matchroom friendly scenario for them, I imagine. So that poses that interesting question of <laughs> will the olive branch be extended to Eddie Hearn to come back in the event that the zone doesn't work? Maybe. But that's something to ponder, I guess. But what brings us here, actually, is more the discussion around Frank, Frank Warren letting it slip that John Wishhausen might become the main boxing guy at Sky. Now, Frank might just be stirring the pot. He might just be relaying what he's heard. You know, he's probably just having fun in the media because it doesn't affect him either way. When I first heard that, my instincts were, poor Adam Smith. So Adam Smith gets completely overlooked for this. And so it makes you wonder, despite all the IFL interviews and all the stuff people used to say about Adam Smith, how important is Adam Smith in the world of Sky? Could they have looked to someone like Ed Robinson? I don't know. Um, does Ed want to do that is more my question. He's more than capable of doing it. But does Ed want to do it? Don't know. Probably not. I think he, he enjoys his life out in Berkshire. You know, fam he's a family man, simple life. And he gets to work in a sport that he loves. So Frank's playing, you know, Frank's just playing around, you know, yanking a few chains, stirring things up because it's a way for him to stay relevant in the discussion. Fair play to him. Take the opportunities while you can. But it raises all kinds of questions because we were assuming that, you know, Sky would partner up with, with the Sowlands and we'd have this big behemoth start taking over and signing UK fighters that hasn't seemed to materialize. There have been no announcements and it hasn't looked like that's going to get any closer. Now, that might be down to the change in leadership. Absolutely. But, you know, you're almost looking at it going, the contract's about to end. It ends this month. And at some point, Sky have to come out and say, here's what we're going to do in the short term. And then here's what we're going to do in the long term. And it's, 
it's a tricky one to explain because they're part of a publicly traded company. So this information is materially relevant, right, to shareholders. So we do want to know what's happening. And it must be a case of they haven't decided. They wouldn't be withholding it because I don't think you can. So now you stop and you go, okay, what are the options for Sky? Realistically speaking, what are the options? Now, for this bit, I've got to thank, you know, a few people who have kind of messaged me and voice noted me and given me some ideas as well. So, as always, thanks to Martin Theobald, thanks to Riku, thanks to Andy P, not Andy W, who never responds to these sorts of messages. But they've kind of given me some ideas and ways to think about this because... You have, to, you have to start with a premise, right? And the premise has to be, if Sky were going to pull out of boxing, they would have told us by now. Therefore, if Sky are going to stay in boxing, they'll want to maintain their position as the leading channel for British boxing. They'll also want to maintain their pay-per-view platform as an important source of revenue because Sky Sports don't control the pay-per-view platform. That's another part of the Sky business. So... They will have their revenue targets, so they're saying we still need this pay-per-view thing to happen. And that's the way we can fund some of our boxing as well. So everyone is in this together in order to generate the maximum return for Sky. If we go on that assumption, then you've got to look and say, what would offer Sky the biggest bang for their buck? So Sky have three really big monsters in terms of the people who generate their revenue in boxing, right? It's Joshua, it's Dillian White. And it's Derek Chisora. To varying degrees, but they're the big billers in the organization. Now, if you assume those guys fight twice a year, which seems to be the model right now, that's six pay-per-view dates a year. Do they then fill the other six months of the year with content from, I don't know, the Sowlands maybe with the Wasserman brand? Do you get small hall promoters in on that? Maybe. Do you try and create something yourself? My TV tried that. It doesn't work because no one's going to let you thrive. The big two promoters, as much as they don't like each other, they will work together to make sure that talent understands if you go to another brand, you cannot work with us. That's the one time Mehdi and Frank would collude on something. So you're not going to get that. right? So then the question is, what do you do with those remaining six dates, assuming they want to keep boxing going 12 months of the year. That's going to be the big question. What's also going to occupy their mind is, can we re-sign Joshua? And if so, what, where, what are the economics of that? And I think the real economics of that are, you start charging 30 to 40 pounds a pay-per-view for AJ. Because now, at that rate, you're guaranteeing him 20 million. If AJ can do a million pay-per-view buys at 40 quid, he gets half of that. Probably a little bit more if he can negotiate hard. So you might get 20 to 30 mil from that. Guaranteed. Do you think Hearn can afford to pay him and Canelo that kind of money? To get Golovkin on the platform with all you're paying him half of that? All in a year? Probably not. So Joshua will look at that and go, if Canelo's on his own, I'm not the number one guy. Why wouldn't I stay on Sky and be the number one guy? And make DAZN have to compete to get hold of me? Play them off against Showtime and say, what are DAZN going to give me in the States? Because Showtime can give me pay-per-view and I can get pay-per-view in Sky. Joshua really doesn't need Eddie Hearn right now. It's disadvantageous for him. 
He makes more money on Sky pay-per-view and US pay-per-view. I think it's that simple. So let's say theoretically AJ fights once in America, once in the UK. Probably the wealthiest he can get, unless Eddie plans on bankrupting the zone. Similar argument for Dillian. Dillian will make more money on UK pay-per-view and US pay-per-view. Maybe the same for Chisora. Although I think Eddie could match Chisora's money because he doesn't do massive numbers on pay-per-view. But then Eddie's more like, do I want to pay that kind of money for a guy in his late 30s? Probably not. Why else are these three attractive? AJ's attractive because he's got 258. He's Anthony Joshua. If he wants to sign the best of the Olympians, he can. He can and he will. And that brings him into direct conflict with Hearn. But I can see Joshua doing that. And I can see Freddie Cunningham having the fire in his belly to do that. Dillian slowly building up a good stable of underdogs, guys who have crawled their way up, like what guy I respect massively, Yusuf Kamari is doing fantastic things right now. And if you're not getting behind Yusuf Kamari, please do so now. Um, I, you know, I'm seeing him do little things he's learning, although I am going to pull him up. Like, you can't shoulder roll and pivot to your left. Like, I, I can't be seeing that anymore in the videos, Yusuf. You know, that's not what the shoulder roll's for. You know, you always got to pull out to your right-hand side, create the new angle for the power hand. You've got Richard Riakpour, although I don't know what the relationship is with those two, but if, if he's on board with Richard Riakpour, then, you know what I mean, Sky could be a good platform for someone like him. So th there's talent available, Fabio Wardley as well. There's a lot of good talent available that Sky could get if they can retain Dillian, if they can retain AJ. Derek comes with David Hay. And on a management basis, or, you know, trying to build up like a another Haymaker promotions, David could probably get a few guys, manage him and say, look, I can get you on Sky. So I can see those guys having control over the platform. And then if you do that, you've got Johnny Wish essentially acting as the headmaster, making sure the lunatics don't take over the asylum. Although I don't think headmasters look after asylums, but you know, work with me on this one. So that's one of the possible scenarios. The other scenario is they just say, we're just going to buy shows. We're not going to produce anything. We're just going to buy shows. But then you ask yourself, okay, where are you going to get shows from? DAZN? No. Top Rank? Mm. They seem to be pretty happy with BT at the moment. Mm. Al Heyman and PBC? I still hear rumors that Channel 5 is a preferred destination for Al Heyman simply because of the viewership. He's not going to make millions selling the fights in the UK. So why not get the, ma the maximum amount of reach for his fighters? So in the event that they do fight UK guys or they come over to the UK to fight, it's more money for everyone. So I understand that. Makes sense. So what does that leave? From the US, it doesn't leave much. Nothing, nothing of any great interest, right? And then you look around and you go, okay, what about MTK? Is it possible that MTK then just pull rank and say, we're going to pull Fury out of his situation Billy Joe out of his situation, Josh Taylor out of his situation, and we're going to build a platform based on these guys, and we're going to do it all on Sky. And then let's go to the, the path I think a lot of people would like to see, and they'd like to see the Sky platform genuinely opened up for grassroots events. So guys like Steve Goodwin, Errol Johnson, Steve Wood, um, I would have said Dennis Hobson, but he's got the fight zone deal, so he's happy. Would you have a Goodwin show on Sky? 
yes, but what sort of Goodwin show would you have on Sky? Not a standard Goodwin show. Like, you'd have to almost build up to super cards. And I remember Steve saying on his show, Ring Talk, which is a good listen, so feel free to jump on board on that one. I, he, I'll keep it real for a sec. In the beginning, it was, a, it was bitsy, it was messy, and I think Steve was trying to, he was trying to play too straight. But now I think Ring Talk's got that kind of edge because Steve doesn't mind, you know, putting the knife in every so often. I don't mean that in a bad way, but he doesn't mind, you know, showing a bit of edge and a bit of abrasion, which makes it quite compelling to listen to. So if you've got time and jump in on the Ring Talk episodes. But does Steve need Sky? Sometimes is probably the answer I'd give. No. Would it help him draw a better class of fighter? Probably. Would it then mean that Steve could get back into the business of rebuilding careers? I think so. But is that what Steve wants to do? Or does Steve enjoy, you know, the hardcore heaven that is a Goodwin show? I don't know. Only he knows the answer to that. But I don't... I don't see Steve doing Sky unless Sky come and do the production. That's, that's how I feel. But you'd have to do it in your call because... Are you really going to fill, I mean, the copper box or the or the O2 with, with a Goodwin roster? Eh, maybe not. So, before Steve can talk about being at that sky level, and I mean this is true for every other promotion, including including Dennis and people, in case people think I'm being biased, what's your path to building your franchise and your proposition and your fighters to a point where they can fill out these arenas? And it's chicken and egg, really, isn't it? You need Sky to make you guys famous, but Sky needs you guys to be famous in order to be on their platform. So what do you do? I don't think there's a perfect answer for that. But I know there's a large constituency of people that would like to see a few Goodwin shows on Sky, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Whether that becomes like KOTV, where you get that half hour to an hour show that highlights what's happening in the small hall scene, but then you know what does that do for ticket sales and so forth? Can you... You know, can you compensate the promotional company? It's all a mess, right? The simplest thing to do is to go all out to get Joshua, Dillian, and Chisora for me. And you say, guys, you come on this platform. It's your platform. I mean, Johnny Wish just has to make sure you're not taking the piss and everyone makes a bucket load of cash. And then when people become big enough to be pay-per-view like a Josh Taylor, you offer them the same platform. Come on here. You know, so so essentially, Sky become a utility, um, almost like your like like your phone provider. What do you really use Vodafone for? Absolutely nothing. They're almost like a dumb pipe. It's just there for you to consume data, right? There's no value add, and there's no need. Vodafone make a bucket load of cash doing very little. They just keep their network going, and I think that might be the same for Sky going forward. But a lot of it depends on what direction do they want to go in. Do they want to be progressive? You know, think outside the box, come up with some new products and make sure that they're resilient in case there's no live sport for a period of time. So I'd like to see the documentaries made and I'd like to see those, you know, generating revenue on other platforms outside this country. But in terms of boxing right now, I would be favoring keeping your pay-per-view guys and building your proposition around them and keeping Johnny Wish there as the as a regulator. That's all you need. This real shame is Adam Smith wasn't in a position to do that. But I don't know those internal workings. So I just step back and go, if it is Jonathan Vick that takes over, good luck to him. 
and let's see what the future holds. But I think it's all really interesting because this should all become clearer by September when the new boxing season technically starts. But I just thought I'd do a, a quick note. Actually, hold on. Stop, 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 stop. Let me just address Enzo Macronelli. So for those of you who are on Twitter, and if you're not, don't waste your time. Enzo Macronelli and I start off having a conversation, right, about boxers selling tickets and stuff. You know the normal stuff boxers talk about and complain about because boxers are like spoiled children. They genuinely believe the fans' only job is to buy every ticket available and offer no opinion about the sport and offer no opinion about the quality of the fighter, nothing. Just give them money so they can live out their dream at your expense, right? So, so he, he comes at it from that angle. Now, I don't believe Andrew Macronelli's bought a ticket in the last 15 years. I don't. Now, he may come and have a little jolly on BT Sports ticket, you know, where you see him just grinning on TV, looking like Mr. Fucking Ed, right? He may do that. Fair enough. He's earned the right to do that. He's a former WBO champion. Soft champion? I don't know. Would he have been a better champion without David Hay? But David put that, gave him that ice with a slice, as did a good friend of mine, Olaf Alabi. Just gave him the ice with the slice. But we're having a conversation, and it's a reasonable one, right? And I don't mind touching on it now so everyone understands the context. My belief is this. Whatever you do in life, if you set up a business, you have no automatic right to succeed. My money's sacred to me. Your money's sacred to you. I don't want to spend it unless it's worth my while. No one has a right to my money, apart from the tax man, unfortunately. No one has a right to my money. And a lot of times, boxers don't realize this. Me paying £100 to watch a heavyweight fight against Phil Williams isn't worth my while. It's not worth my time. And that's no disrespect to Phil Williams. You know, he, what he does is noble. But once I've seen Phil Williams once, I don't need to see him for a seventh time. Why am I paying £100? Why am I paying 60 Why am I paying 40 In a sport that prides itself on its working-class heritage, why are we fleecing the punters for substandard fights? Boxers don't want to talk about that. They tell you it's part of the process, it's part of the journey. Why is it part of the process and part of the journey? It wasn't for Lomachenko. You see, when you started to pay to watch Lomachenko box, there were no Latvian binmen. Do you see what I mean? So it's not impossible. Joe Joyce, straight out the gates against Ian Lewison. No Latvian binmen. So my point was, no boxer has a right to sell tickets. No boxer should be turning pro unless they can sell 150 tickets. They'd be confident of doing so. There are too many people with licenses in this country, and a lot of them aren't that good. Of the hundred, last hundred people who got boxing licenses, half will be out of the sport within three years, at least. And they'll look at you like you have to keep their passion going. I don't give a monkeys. I buy tickets of friends, and that's about it. I can stream fights. I don't care. Like, if you don't give me a reason to... To spend my money, I won't spend my money. So I'm having this discussion with Enzo Macronelli, and he doesn't seem to understand it because 
basically he's a th- he's as thick as two short planks. Like that's just the reality of it. He's a real headbanger of a of a moron, right? And let's not forget this guy's a drug cheat as well. So he can't read labels. He clearly can't read tweets. He definitely can't spell, right? He can't spell. And he's trying to have an argument with me, and I fell into the trap of engaging this longer than I needed to. But he didn't understand a very simple idea that no boxer has a right to an income. They have to earn it. That's why, you, that's why what boxers make is called earnings, because you earn it. So then he decides to make it personal. I don't know who it was. Maybe Sonny Edwards got in his ear, or maybe he got in Sonny Edwards's ear, but it's just dumb and dumb. It's the blind leading the blind at this point. But uh, sometimes I pause and reflect and I say, I'm just a podcast. I don't even have a YouTube channel. Shout out to Porky Russ, who has a really good YouTube channel. You mean, shout out to Harley Marshall, who's on his way up on his YouTube channel. Do you see what I mean? They're guys who are doing their thing. Shouts out to Pep Talk, because they actually get the viral content. So big salute to those guys. There are loads of people doing bigger things than I am. And I get trolled by a former WBO champion and an IBF champion who was lucky to find a granddad in the ring. You know, I mean, lucky that wasn't Nonito Donaire. Like, maybe the South African guy needs to be taking whatever Nonito Donaire supposedly took. I don't know. But anyway, you got these two clowns. And because I fly pretty straight, like, there's no dirt on me because I don't do anything dirty, right? In the context of boxing, there's nothing you can dig up on me. So Enzo decides to make it personal and goes, you know, what do you know about boxing? What club are you affiliated to? And I say, yeah, Fitzroy Lodge. I'm what, 17 years into it now? I think I've earned the right to say I'm affiliated to that club. I've earned it. Whatever people want to say, no one can take that away from me. And so he proceeds to tag them in every post as if he thought Fitzroy Lodge were going to go, we don't know this guy. So he's embarrassing himself. But I say all of that to say this. This is what you deal with with boxers, especially when they have no money. You know, they don't have any money and they see themselves. And what's Enzo now? 42? 41, 42? For the next 30 or 40 years, whatever's in his bank account has got to last him. He's not bright enough to do anything. Do you know I mean? He'll be there licking windows for the rest of his life. He talks about he's training these guys in the gym. He's been training people in the gym for how long and what's come out of there? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, so I look at that and I say, that's what boxers are. They become really bitter. And they're this really weird mix of human being because they want to have an opinion on everything. Stuff they know nothing about. You think Bullioni really knows about 5G and the intricacies of what it takes to generate a 5G signal? Of course he doesn't. But he wants to have an opinion on it. Because he looked at something online or something his mate sent him. But if you tell Frank Bullioni that he hasn't got a chin, he'll say, what do you know about boxing? Absolutely nothing. Is this hypocrisy you guys tolerate? Stop taking pictures with these clowns. Once we've stopped seeing you on TV, we don't really care. Move on. Go and get a job like the rest of us have to. But Macronelli's on there. Now, the thing that really got to me was he was using the whole mental health thing. Remember when he was just weeping on podcasts and talking nonsense about how he struggled with mental health and anxiety and stuff? 
And he was saying all of that stuff just to sell you guys supreme CBD oil. Because if he really believed in mental health, he wouldn't be there trolling people. Do you know I mean? He wouldn't be there palling up with Sonny Edwards. He'd be saying to Sonny Edwards, I'm hearing that you're bullying people online. You're bullying 19-year-old amateur boxers. You're affecting their mental health. How can I be talking to people about mental health while you're doing this and I'm partnering up with you? He's an embarrassment. Broke as hell. Now he's trying to make a comeback. If you really love the urge of fighting so much Enzo Macronelli and you're coming back to scratch and itch, do it for free. Yeah? Do it for free. Fight Olaf Falabi. You fight him. Do it for free. Sell out an arena in Wales. Sell something out. And then these fighters who you care so much about, tell them they don't have to sell a ticket because Enzo's name will carry the event. Florian Marcus done it. The young guys in there didn't have to sell tickets. You really want to show you care? Do that. You really want to scratch that itch called fighting? Do that. Do it for free. Or just admit you've got no money and you're coming back because you want to nick a few quid before, before you really are too old to do anything. Embarrassing. They're just pleading mental health and all of this and all of that. I was willing to believe that, but I see his behavior online and I'm like, man, you're one of the worst trolls. You are the problem, Enzo Macronelli. You are the problem. It's embarrassing. It's just, it, it's only in boxing could you have this. Because these guys never make any money. They don't make any money because they're pretty toxic people. They're pretty boring people. How many times are you going to show me that video you're running up a hill? Have a medal. I mean, I'm just impressed you put one foot in front of the other. It's embarrassing. Sorry, but it is. And what I want to say to people who are fans of boxing is this. A lot of these guys aren't your heroes. They'll be your cab drivers. They'll serve you pints in a pub. They may even bag your groceries. They may pump your petrol. They may fix your car. For a brief period in their life, they were relevant to you and many others. Once they stop doing that, the halo goes. And they become these toxic, bitter people who dislike the fact that other people have come into the sport of boxing and have been able to make connections. And I'm not, I'm not guilty because I didn't jump in the ring with David Hay or Ola Falabi or Shane McPhilbin where he got caught doping. That's another story for another time. I'm not guilty that I didn't go through all of that. You know, fate decreed that I had a voice that some people want to listen to. I, I give thanks for that. I'm grateful for everyone who listens. But I don't have to feel sorry for, for that. No, not at all. And you guys listening, you have to start taking a stand against this. Don't let these guys like Sonny Edwards and Enzo Macronelli make the lives of teenagers on their way up in the sport hell. Call them out on it. Check them on it. Ignore them. Don't buy their tickets. If they can't live up to the minimum standards of decency and humanity, stop putting money in their pocket. I won't even pay to watch them lose. But Enzo Macronelli can just, he can blow me, man. He can, he can chew on these nuts, man. That's what he can do. Washed up, irrelevant, you know, who cares what he thinks, man? But, you know, let's not let 
the words of an idiot detract from what's going to be an exciting summer in terms of working out what Sky do next and therefore what the big names in the sport do next. Until next time, guys, take care. Chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you no. serious? James Tony?